0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show.
1: Well, we were all ready to spend the next hour or so moaning about what went wrong in the Manchester Derby, but then along comes a bit of a bonkers game against Southampton to shake things up a little. A win's a win, and it was an emphatic one at 5-2, but was the performance up to what was needed after limping to defeat against United? Not only that, our old friend the video assistant referee is back in the spotlight after one of the most ludicrous penalty decisions you'll ever see, so expect that to come up at some point in this week's Blue Moon Podcast too. Also on today's show, we'll be looking ahead to the upcoming fixtures with Fulham and Borussia Mönchengladbach, We'll hear from football historian Dr Gary James about the worst-ever top-flight title defence. Yes, it is City's. And journalist Rafael Hernandez speaks to the show about the Barcelona elections and what that could mean for City and Lionel Messi. I'm David Mooney, and for this week's show, I'm joined by, from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn.
2: Hello, hello, you alright?
1: I'm not too bad, thanks. Adam, you well?
3: Yeah, I'm good, thank you very much.
1: Good, good. Um, I think I mentioned it in the introduction, the VAR stuff, Um it's, we kind of have to start there Even though that's not really where I want to start For this week's show uh, The big headline obviously from the Southampton game Was the penalty or, or not that was uh, that was on Phil Foden uh, He told Sky after the game That he was trying to stay on his feet um, This is what Pep Guardiola Then had to say to Jeff Shreves afterwards
4: I don't understand why Fulham allowed the goal Against Tottenham I don't understand the hands from Arsenal against Borley And another example Is the penalty today like we won, it's incredible, happy and, uh, you know, and everything. John cannot see it, but the VAR is there. Don't whistle the penalty, is incredible. You know that uh, for a long time, and maybe in four or five years, never complained about the referees and the action, but this action is really incredible. Incredible.
1: Are you just bemused quite regularly as still- to? What decisions are, and you're not the only manager saying this. The
4: VAR exists for the referees. Don't see the action, can make a mistake. That's why you review. But if it's a review, don't whistle the penalty. This action. Uh, so I don't understand. Honestly, the same with the Fulham Arsenal. So the hands. Maybe one day they will explain us Really, the rule for all the managers, all the players. But the penalty today. Okay, it's five two. When the moment it was one one. If you want to, if we are not able to win today because the quality of the opponent, we are just. No just, it's enough. Eight points clear, and in that moment is 1-1. Uh, one, one, so Could have been that's very why different. I'm the proud. I'm the proud because in this club, I don't know another other ones, but in this club, what we have done this decade or the last years? We won it. We did it for ourselves. That's
0: for sure. This is the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Guardiola, uh, understandably not very happy with the decision. Uh, and just in case you two fellas were wondering, I have isolated that bit just in case we need it later on in the show. Incredible. Just uh, just in case either of you come up with a point that I, I feel is uh, is yeah. worthy of uh, of hearing that I back mean again. for the ages. Yeah, there we go. Um, I mean, in all seriousness, Jack, uh, you look at the two penalty incidents in the game. Um, how how is it not given? Like like what what? Well, they does... were both
2: penalties, weren't they?
1: Yeah. What, what's 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 happened there? Uh,
2: what's happened? Well, the explanation from the Premier League uh, afterwards was that it there was inconclusive evidence. Or they couldn't definitively say that McCarthy didn't touch the ball. Um, which, when that came through, I I was staggered because we've all. <laughs> I mean, we don't get as many replays in the stadium as as um, people watching from home, and certainly not obviously not as many as uh, Stotley Park. And we got two or three, and it's like, well, obviously he's not to touched the ball. I mean, it's just. There's not a great deal to say about it. It's just so bafflingly wrong that uh, there's it's not it's not an argument about v a r is it It's an argument about the competency of the officials yeah um and that's why the problem that's why the debate around v a r is is so tricky because really the technology that they're using should make the game fairer and should make the game clearer, but it doesn't because the people that are are the people that are behind the screens clearly don't know what they're doing. I mean, I, like, I turned around to... um uh, I sat next to Paul Hurst last night, and I turned around to him when Moss didn't give it. I was like, well, he's, he's not giving it because he knows that VAR are going to give it. Because, well, everyone's yeah. everyone sat in the ground knew that was a penalty. You can just see it with your naked eye. It's obvious. Like, Foden's foot was hanging off. So... <laughs> um so it's like, well, obviously he's going to give it, and they're just waiting to see if they can score anyway. And I'm all, I, I'd start like writing me notes that you know, City got a penalty, you know, miscontrolled a back pass, Foden nipped him, whatever. And then it turns around, and oh no, it's they've not given it. It's just uh, it's absolutely astonishing.
1: The thing that I find most baffling about that explanation, Adam, is um, when when you consider that that the line is that the VAR, the video assistant referee, couldn't see whether or not McCarthy touched the ball in that challenge. Um, like, when you when you go for criminal convictions, the, the, like, like, jury <laughs> juries are told beyond reasonable doubt. I mean, if that's yeah. the level of reasonable doubt we're going for with the VAR, the, the bar is too high, isn't <laughs> it?
3: Exactly. We're, you know, it's not a legal enterprise in terms of the on-field activities. Um, Jack's hit the nail on the head there. The referee has been able to bottle that because he knows VAR will pick it up afterwards, so he doesn't have to give it. Um, and But that just negates... Any accountability be it on the pitch or on the uh, on the VAR side? Because if one's saying, "Oh, I'm waiting for him to give it," and the other side saying, "I'm waiting for him to give it," we're just in this grey area and, and nothing happens. But it shouldn't have even got that far if we just look at the decision on it as a standalone. Like you say, the the, the incompetence there is him not being able to see that the keepers whether the keepers played the ball or not, which he didn't, and that was um like like Jack says there, that was visible to the naked eye in the stadium. Yes, we've got a bit of luxury in the um watching from home in terms of the camera angles we have access to on Sky Sports. We, I saw it, and I, I don't profess to be you know, a Hawkeye with these type of things, but I saw it in, in real time. Usually sometimes you have to wait for replays and say, actually, yeah, it was. I could see straight away it was a penalty. And what you know, you know how much of a clangor it is when rival fans on Twitter, that's my barometer for the, <laughs> the level of how wrong this was, when they're chiming up and saying that is ridiculous. Uh, that we didn't get it. So the, we, it's not even a var I mean, it's completely the var but it shouldn't have even got to that stage. Uh, that, that should have only just been like a, a, a clarification measure.
1: Jack, even if even if McCarthy has got a little stud on the ball, is it not still a foul?
2: Yeah, anywhere else on the pitch, it's definitely a foul, even mm-hmm. if you touch the ball. I mean, how many times do you see defenders go through an attacker and you go, well, they've got the ball, and then but they're booked or... You know, or it's a free kick and, and they get a yellow card. Uh, it now doesn't matter if you get a little bit of the ball. So that the kind of explanation from the Premier League was even stranger, really. Um, given that he clearly like took his took his foot away. I mean, it's just so like uh, you've got a player running through who wants to stay on his feet. Can't stay on his feet it's impossible for him to stay on his feet because one of them has been wiped Stopped away. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, I just don't get it. And it, anyone who's watched football for any length of time <laughs> knew that that, as it happened, everyone went penalty. Obviously it's a penalty. So how, I don't understand how you can know. Everybody can know for absolute certain that it was a penalty while it was happening. And then for them not to give it after watching however many replays, just I don't know. He's but Pep's like Pep's completely right in the sense that he doesn't complain about referees, and that's kind of sometimes to his detriment that he doesn't complain about ref- referees, and certainly it can it can wind us up a little bit because he, he after you know after um, after they've gone out in the Champions League or uh, they've suffered bad results, and you know refereeing decisions have contributed to those results he just steadfastly refuses to to talk about it which is a little bit annoying from our point of view <laughs> um but he's made a point like last night city scored five goals they've won fairly emphatically despite not playing particularly brilliantly this is his time to say no this is his joke because he knows that people will take notice because they've won the game
1: yeah I mean it's interesting, Jack says there as well that, uh, that that Southampton's penalty was a penalty. What what are your feelings, Adam? Because I mean like like we're saying there, contact on the ball is not a clean tackle. So contact on a body is is, mm. is not a foul either. And Laporte, I mean has he pulled him back, or has he just kind of touched him and he's thrown himself over?
3: They've definitely made the made a meal of it. Um, but the, my argument was, I didn't complain at the time because I thought, well, Laporte's got his hand on him, so he's given the ref the opportunity to give the penalty. In my book, it's nowhere near a foul. There's nowhere near enough momentum to drag a six foot odd uh, lad down to the down to the ground in such emphatic fashion. So it's nowhere near a penalty yet. Um, but in terms of his 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 hand being there, has has let John Moss given that penalty and that's why I can't complain that's my personal view of it but he it, it, it shouldn't have it should, he had every right to go down to be fair to him because Laporte had his hand on his shoulder but it's a, it's a ridiculous uh, you know, theatrics from him
2: but that's one that's one of those though isn't it if, if if that's at the other end yeah I think City fans probably want a penalty for that don't they and yeah. that's probably quite a good barometer <laughs> well, well here's here's the question then Jack is like should Foden have done that should Foden have stayed down
1: thrown himself um, over and rolled around
2: yeah, well, I tweeted after. He should have screamed. If he'd screamed, yeah. he'd have got it. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, yes is is the obvious answer, but it's kind of heartening that he wanted to go around him and, and score or set someone else up. Um, that's the sort of thing when Pep talks about Foden, which is obviously quite often because he gets asked about it quite a lot, he always talks about him being like a kid and like a child um, and he want, he always says he wants to eat the world and that i thought that was kind of proof of that last night in that his honesty he just wants to play he just wants to finish the move um and maybe maybe he needs to get a little bit more streetwise but it would be a shame to take that honesty out of his game because that's part of the part of the reason why he's such a as as well, it's likeable a player to watch. isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah um just on while we're on penalties and let before let's kind of box it all off in in one go um There was a couple of appeals in the derby as well, Adam, that that city didn't get. Um, I I have really struggled to find replays of of both the Sterling and Jesus incidents. Uh, When you were watching them in real time, what did you make of them?
3: (laughs) They just disappeared into a black hole now because it was our penalties, (laughs) Uh, the footage. Um, I thought there was a... I would have liked to have seen a bit more of... uh, see, See, you... The TV studio decides what replays we see. So it almost appears that... So when I'm talking about the Sterling one where Fred ran across him and he went through Fred's legs, um, if, if we discuss that incident. The TV didn't make any nod to that at all. I think we should show one or two replays. And I think the ones where the play stops and it's reviewed, and whether it's given or not, you get a bit more of, okay, well, they have reviewed it. Wrong or rightly, they've took the time to do it. Whereas the ones that don't get shown on TV, we're, we, us as fans, are just like, well, did did they even look at it? And then we're told, obviously, they did look at it, but there's never any permanent clarification or any visual that they're they're replaying that even while the game's going on. So that felt like it was just thrown to to the discard pile. And like you say, you've not been able to find any, uh, you know, any discussions of it thereafter. So that's the Sterling one. I thought was was a penalty, and I've seen them given in previous games um but it just felt like it wasn't going to be our day in terms of uh once once the from the opening minute really so yeah. i didn't expect anything else to go in our favor
1: Th- that's the thing isn't it jack i mean like as as much as as we can sit here and say oh well that could have been a penalty that could have been a penalty on jesus as well um like the narrative of the day is that city didn't play very well and that's because city didn't
2: play very well and united were better <laughs> yeah no they didn't didn't play very well although he said that they played better than they played against west ham which um I thought they were fairly similar in in both games. I don't I kind of. I don't think they have played particularly well for the, quite a few weeks now. Um, and the, the great thing towards the end of the winning run was that they they were they were beating teams without playing particularly brilliantly. Um, I mean, take the Glad, the Munch and Gladbach game. I didn't think they were particularly great that night, uh, but they just had complete control of it. Um, and they were able to, you know, if they score in the first half an hour, they can just kill a game. The problem is when they don't score in the first half an hour i I' just get the feeling that some of them particularly the midfield occasionally try and force it a little bit too quickly and panic's the, panic's the wrong word, but it just feels a little everything feels a little bit too quick and they just a want to play tense, that final maybe. ball but maybe tense tense in themselves yeah, and it's you, they're just triggered to play a ball too quick rather than you know recycling passes for another five or six and trying to pick holes uh, i think de bruyne is particularly guilty of that um and that's but then you kind of look at it look at those performances in the context of the season and say well there's always going there are going to be dips and actually if this is the if the last kind of three or four weeks has been a dip in performances then it's been a staggeringly good season and yeah. will be obviously will be a great season won't it but if if this is it this is a low point then they'll turn around and go. Well, thanks very much. Yeah,
1: it was uh, the, the performance against United was obviously flat, Adam. Um, mm. As a, as a fan, when you saw the game against Southampton, how did you feel about the response? Because I I certainly felt for the first ten minutes at least, I was I, I was thinking this is the same game again.
3: Yeah, I think I was looking back at the fixtures um, around that game, and we've not particularly played well since I'd say around the Tottenham or Everton game, which was about six games ago. We've battled through previous games it looked like a carbon copy in that first 10 minutes I love how Sky um, for anyone who was watching after like six minutes put up the um the, pos- the possession stats because it was seventy-five percent in Saints' favour, and I just thought that's usually reserved for ten, fifteen minutes in. But when they can bash us with a stat like that, I'm all
1: for it. Um, but it, it, showed, it showed how it, how City had, how slowly City had started yeah, in the second it, it game. Exactly. Running
3: though, it was sluggish. Looked looked a bit hungover. Uh, I I go back to what you guys just said about uh, that tension. Um, we looked to be playing within ourselves at that point. There was there was so many. Um, Stray balls in that first ten minutes that were just going out of touch. Walker's side, Zinchenko's side. Zinchenko has played well recently, but loves giving the ball to Southampton. Three seasons in a row, he loves passing to them. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think he is a Saints fan definitely. And it just—it was just a case of here we go again. And then it's weird because you've got a temperate. It's, in in the crisis stakes because by any stretch of the imagine one defeat in 30 games is anything from that and we've got the luxury of having quality players that can dig us out of holes but you just get that sense of okay so say if today isn't going to be our day again and that's how what I thought of United you can have one day one bad day at the office you can't have two that's my kind of barometer and I thought oh here's the second one and then you start looking over your shoulder and I know it's ridiculous but it's probably typical City-itis that you start saying oh well there's eight points, and we we made eight points up on United in famously in 2012. So it can happen. Where you know we're at the business end of the season now. Is it starting to get to us? And then we just do a absolutely rampant display, albeit not in terms of team quality, but individual quality. And we run out five two winners So at the beginning, to answer the question, I definitely thought there's another bad day at <laughs> the office, and I was throwing my toys out of the pram after ten minutes.
2: The I mean, the point swing is an interesting topic because at, at one point. Over the weekend, last weekend, I think Leicester were losing, and it could conceivably be twenty points now. Mm. If if Leicester had lost uh, and City had beaten United, and then obviously uh, won last night as expected, it would have been twenty points. But then in the first kind of ten minutes, you're thinking, oh, maybe they'll get beat tonight uh, against sorry against Southampton. Mm. Then it's suddenly eight, and that's like that's a twelve point swing in the space of like five days. It just, on a note they are obviously going to win the league, like and they're. Deservedly going to win the league, but it uh, it did make me think like, Pet, like, kind of been everyone's been sniggering a little bit at, at Pep saying you know it's nothing's won taught to me when we're 11 points clear with three games to go uh, blah, blah and all that sort of stuff. But he does, like he is right, isn't he? In that, there's a, there's it, a point in there, isn't there, be, there, yeah. If there can be that 12 point swing in the space of five days, he's got he does have a point
1: Let's just touch on the derby as well and and that performance because Johnny Eyre asked on the emails uh, did Pep get the selection awry against United? He can never do any serious wrong for me really look at where we are and what we're achieving but no Foden or Bernardo seemed odd the side that beat Liverpool is our best side with a false nine surely. Um, Jack what did you make of that that line-up? Because again it was no Foden, no Bernardo seems like there was no energy.
2: Yeah well I thought that they had to find a way of getting Bernardo and Foden into the team because of the Apart from Mahrez, they're probably the two players that have been um, at the top of their game for the last month or so. So it was a little bit of a surprise that neither of them played. But then again, you kind of look at the team you picked and go, well, how are they going to get in? Because even when both De Bruyne and Sterling are kind of faltering slightly, you you still have to pick them for a Manchester (laughs) derby, don't you? (laughs) I mean, maybe you don't, but I just. It would be a massive shock if, if neither of them had, had played in that game. And then you're thinking, well, where where else can you get Silver and Foden in? And he had to play Marez because mara has been really good for the last few weeks. You can't drop Mares because because of his performances lately. So it, it's it, a difficult team selection. But yeah, in, in hindsight, one of, certainly one of them should have played, but I, don't, I just don't know who he would have removed from the eleven. Um because like for all take Stirling for example, for all his his faults in front of the goal um and the missed chances, I mean that chance at the end has not really been talked about for the United game, has it? Yeah. I mean that's killer. just an unbelievable miss. Um for all that, he gives them so much going the other way and in the like as they as they build up through and they transition through midfield. So I, I don't know. They obviously want to play, be able to play with 13 players, but you can't, can you? So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, if he's if he's going to play with a with a false nine, though, Adam, does that not mean Jesus drops to the bench and one of Foden or Bernardo comes in for that derby? Uh,
3: so I was just going to say, so uh, I think Jesus played himself into the derby because of his two goals against uh, Wolves in the match before. I think if he's banged out of form uh, or like injured uh, like he was against Chelsea away and again last night... Um, when he's, he's dropped him, and it, that's allowed him to get Foden and Bernardo and Mares on the pitch at the same time. So it's not a case of two going into uh, four going into two positions. You, you, you can afford to play them with that false nine. It worked well uh, against Chelsea away, probably the best it's worked this season, and it worked um, reasonably well last night, albeit a bit of a carnival of chaos really um, <laughs> at both ends of the pitch. So uh, I think that the way you get those two into the side is by dropping Jesus and I think if hindsight's wonderful but if we wanted more legs against United uh, you need to be bringing in Foden and um, Bernardo and I think that's at the expense of Jesus and another.
2: Just on Jesus when he when he doesn't play uh, and they kind of don't click or gel in the final third and maybe they play a false nine, we always say afterwards oh, they kind of missed Jesus' link up play and they missed him Harry in the defence and they missed this and they missed that so going into the United, it's like it felt as if Jesus had to play because he's going to occupy those defenders, and he's he's able to rotate with the others in the in the front line, and he offers them so much other than the kind of goal scoring element. So. It, I, I don't know. I, this is just a problem with having so many good players, isn't it? I yeah, suppose it's not.
1: It's not a simple, simple kind of switch, no. there, is it? Yeah. Uh, let's just touch on uh, on the defending because um, it's been so good all season. But that's now two successive home games where City have conceded twice. It's four games without a clean sheet. Um, Jack, what what do you make of uh, of the partnerships that we've seen of this week? Because it was it was Stones and Diaz for the derby, and then the Port and Diaz for for Southampton.
2: I, I didn't think Diaz and Stones were particularly uh, good together. Um, at the weekend but again that's that's allowed because they've been exceptional as a as a, as a pairing uh, throughout the season Laporte I just I just don't think he's playing well whenever he comes in um, I think the issue with Laporte is that when things go badly and you look at the look at the goals last night like Laporte's fingerprints are all over him again Um, and it happens quite a lot Uh, and they generally concede more goals when he's in the team I think from now until until the end of the season he's just got to go right my back four is Cancelo Stones Diaz Sinchenko and that's it and then deal with the consequences afterwards because uh, you need they they need a consistent they need consistent partnerships all over the pitch obviously but uh, the back four needs consistency uh, and I, there has been a little bit of chopping and changing recently and I don't think that's helpful for, for anyone. And the goalkeeper as well. I don't think it doesn't breed kind of trust, does it? If, you, if you've got different people in front of you all the time. Um, and maybe that that might cause problems. Well, it would cause problems with Laporte if, if he just went with Diaz and Stones for the majority of the games. But they're, they're going for all four trophies and they've got a chance of winning all four trophies. So just, they've just got to go, right, this is it. This is the best team. This is what we're playing.
1: Yeah, that said though, Adam, um, you know, we talked about uh, Southampton's penalty, United's penalty was clear. Um, why Why was Jesus there?
3: <laughs> like, I, think, like... I think it's the ethos of, and I think there's a bit of desperation in all our players, knowing that because the squad's so vast, they can't afford to make a mistake, else they'll be out. It's a case of Gabby uh, gave it away in midfield, it kind of ricocheted off him and led to their attack. And he was, obviously, there's that ethos as well of winning it back as soon as you lose it. Uh, we had ample cover. It's early in the game. You don't need to make those same mistakes. But he was there. Was a desperation there in his tracking back and in his challenge? Silly challenge. Lost us the game there and then. Uh, we were never really getting back into it after that point. Um, and it's a steep learning curve. I think it's it, it was out of desperation and that I have played myself back into the team. I need to do well because I don't know when my next chance is going to come from. And he's found himself out of the team again after that last night. So um, I think that was playing in his mind. And I, I saw as soon as he. As soon as he ricocheted off him, I thought he's chasing this back now. And unfortunately, he tried to get it back when it, when the ball was in our penalty area when we had about seventeen people behind the ball at that point as well. So I think it was a desperation thing.
1: I was going to say, Jack, have you seen the seen the still image that was doing the rounds? That was like, like yeah. maybe, maybe this is overkill when there's six players the around. Uh, yeah,
2: it was. It was like that Maradona one, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> maybe the maybe the. Uh... Maybe the the one from the United game was doctored, like the Maradona one has <laughs> been. Um,
1: let's let's talk about a few selection issues that Guardiola's got with form, fitness, and uh, and getting players um uh, into uh, into the team. Uh, We've touched on De Bruyne already. He str- he was struggling in the derby. Um, did he put that right on Wednesday, Jack?
2: Yeah, he did, I, I guess so. But I it's very difficult talking about City with any sort of like nuance at the moment. I think it's just they're just getting through. The matches and De Bruyne playing well against Salampton is just a consequence of De Bruyne being better than the <laughs> Salampton players. <laughs> I, just, I, the, I, I know that's not a particularly good answer or enlightening answer but I just think I, like, he's just better than those around him and the, the better players win quite a lot. I'm um, sorry but, but for that point I need to... Uh...
4: Incredible. Just
2: drop that in. I don't know. He's not been the same since he's come back um, from his injury. Um, I thought against West Ham, he was way off it, and that was masked by the assist, which is a good assist. But it's again, he's a very good player putting a cross into a very good area for someone to attack. No one should be surprised that Kevin De Bruyne can do that, even when he's not playing well. Um, and yeah, I, there's, there, there's been more and more talk of whether whether he gets into City's best 11 at the moment. Um, I think for all I was saying about consistency and selection at the back, I think maybe it's a good idea to kind of leave him out for a game or two, maybe on Saturday. Um, Is it about minutes in the legs sort of thing at the minute for him? into I I thought he probably needed games to get back up to speed but now I'm thinking maybe less is more with him because Guardiola talks about how he's really explosive and he can um in a I think Sammy asked him about um the difference between De Bruyne and Bernardo the other week and he was and he was really interested in that effectively Bernardo's better for the team and the way they want to play but De Bruyne is De Bruyne and De Bruyne will take games away from teams um, so, actually, kind of renders the city set up moot because they have such an extravagant midfielder that can do whatever he wants. Um, so, in that, if you're looking at him as this explosive playmaker who can create so many chances and score so many goals, maybe I'm wrong in thinking that he needs games to get back up to speed. Maybe it's just that they just drop him in for, you know, Maybe have one game in one game out or two games in and one game out, just to keep it fresh for him, yeah because he can look he can he can go from looking exceptional one game to then it looking a little bit stale all of a sudden for seemingly no reason
1: yeah, um one interesting note of uh, of, of the game against Southampton Adam was Aguero came on for uh, not an insignificant amount of time in the end. Um, the game was dead, but it, there was encouraging signs there from him, I felt.
3: Yeah, I think when he first came back from his injury, I think it was against uh, Gladbach, um, his long layoff. He looked fresh, he looked sharp. Um, He didn't play particularly well against West Ham. Uh, He was uh, at fault for their goal in terms of giving it away um, in the build-up. But then last night, there was a few nice balls through to him from Fodham and Fernandinho. Do we think an Aguero of a couple of years back would have uh, pounced onto them a bit more? comfortably but he's certainly showing signs of getting back there and I would let I would have him in the team people will argue and say there's no uh, space for sentimentality but I'd have Aguero in the team until he says I don't want to play anymore that could be when he's 60 when he's 70 (laughs) for what he's done for the club all the sentimentality in the world I'll get slated for that but I've got to stick to my guns as a There's a a respect and loyalty thing. I know we're in a results business and I don't think Guardiola does loyalties and uh, sentiments. So I'm probably one of a minority on that. But I'd have him in the team every week and he's probably needs to be back in the team every week to find that rhythm and to find that goal scoring form again he's gone, i think 13 premier league games without a goal now his longest run ever 414 days or whatever it is without a goal now um so you know that that'll start weighing on him i think he's got a point to prove we know he's playing for a contract which is is such a sad state of affairs it's like watching your dad get beat up outside a pub when Sergio can't <laughs> run like he could in 2012, um, but yeah, for me, I'm probably a bit uh, a bit weak
2: here when I say I'd, I'd give him the, the keys to the city. I was a little bit surprised by a lot of people on Sunday, quite like taken aback and almost angry. And I'm not saying not not City fans at all, but like people kind of from outside of the bubble, if you will, that they were flabbergasted that Aguero wasn't called for Um, and I saw pictures that people took of the bench and going oh imagine a Manchester derby without bringing this guy on it's like well follow the pattern of what's happened at City over over the last year like Aguero is a bit part player and isn't able to do what Guardiola wants a striker to do at the moment because he needs Matches to get fit, but City don't have the ma- don't have the time to allow him to get match fit. So unfortunately, both of them are a victim of circumstance. Um, and I think that was, to be honest, I think West Ham was was proof of that. Yeah. In that, Aguero's just he just wasn't quite there, and that's all right. That's that's fine. It's not his fault because he's not played. But they can't afford they can't afford him the time to get to get up to speed. So I think. I wrote this from the West Ham game, I think there will be a moment this season when they are chasing a goal and they feel he is sufficiently ready to come on in the last 20 minutes and get him a goal and I think he will score a big goal for them, but I don't think that he's going to fight his way, fight his way back into the team before the end of the year, I just, I just don't see it. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm going to finish the first part of the show, Adam, with uh, one of your stats from uh, from after the game against Southampton. Um, <laughs> what what do you think Guardiola has against hat trick scorers? Uh, because that's 22 <laughs> times now he's taken somebody off uh, when they're on a brace. Uh, Mares scored his second goal and then got six more minutes. De Bruyne scored his second goal and then got 13 more minutes. Uh, it's it's almost like Guardiola saying, "No, no, you can't you can't have a match ball."
3: <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like I'll keep you grounded. So I think that's the uh, I think that's his message going out there. Um, I mean, I I was asked that start, and when I looked into the database, it was staggeringly more than I thought. I'd assumed it, but uh, it's, it's just ridiculous. So he's definitely uh, keeping them grounded. I think that's the aspect he's going <laughs> at.
0: And under every manager, just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
1: Right, as Liverpool's title defence gets closer to being over, City now need six more points to be sure of finishing above them. The questions are once again being raised about whether this is the worst title defence ever. The same was asked of City last season and in 2013 and 2015. It's also recently been asked of Leicester and Chelsea after poor showings as defending champions. The truth is, the worst ever title defence does belong to City and Liverpool aren't going to get close to beating it. I've been speaking to Manchester football historian
5: Dr Gary James about the time that City were relegated after winning the league. This is something that is, it, it, it matters immensely to City fans because we had the worst ever title defence and it wasn't in 2012 and 13, it wasn't in 2014, 15 and so on. It was back in 1937-38. And I, I, I remember, what was it? Was it five, six, seven years ago or whatever when they the first tried to claim that City's title defence was the worst ever? I... I ended up at the time, sort of putting on social media, saying, "Oh, oh no, it's not. No, no, no. We've done worse. Never mind. We, in <laughs> fact, we are the worst." <laughs> and it's 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 one of those things that we should be we should be proud of in some ways. That that it's happened to us. I know it's a bonkers thing, but now that we've won all these trophies, uh, we should talk about it. The fact is. But 1936-37, we won the title. We were fantastic. We had some of the biggest names in football. There's a player called Peter Doherty who was a a star man, a star striker, if you like. Um, We had players like Eric Brooke. We had all this goalkeeper, Frank Swift. We had all this talented team and we won the title in style. Everyone celebrated it. We went to Germany and played a friendly in the Berlin, well, we played a number of friendlies, but a friendly in the Berlin Olympic Stadium against Germany. You know, we didn't just play a club side, we played against Germany. And we we were a major, major team. And then 1937-38 season starts, and I think part of it is that the captain, Sam Barker, has perhaps set the tone by saying in, in the press, we want to win the big trophy now, we want to win the FA Cup, right? Now that is true for the time that people viewed the FA Cup as being the more glamorous one in some ways because of the showpiece final at Wembley. But by saying that so early in the season, I think he sort of doomed us to have a bad league, league <laughs> campaign. Because <laughs> it's, you know, if the captain's saying at the start, it's not the league that matters this year, it's the FA Cup. What's, what's it going to do? Exactly.
1: I mean, the, the, the thing is, um, the, the, there was a time as well when uh, Leicester, a couple of years ago, when they won the title, and then the next season they were struggling in the Premier League, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm, I really hope they don't go down, because there's a badge of honour there, isn't there, as City as the only defending champions relegated?
0: Oh,
5: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, when, um, back in 1926, City reached the FA Cup final, and were relegated in the same season, I knew it was the first time that happened. So when... When Wigan beat us in 2013 and got relegated, that was like a double whammy for me because not only did they beat us in the FA Cup final, but they then also got relegated as FA Cup winners. And that really upset me. And I know other teams have, you know, sort of that that relegated and cup final thing in the same season. Other teams have done that. But even so, it was like a double whammy. So, yeah, we need to protect this. We don't want, well, I, I was going to say we don't want teams to get relegated that have just won the title so we can preserve it. But I might make an exception in Liverpool's case. But, <laughs> but, but really we don't we certainly didn't want Leicester to get relegated. Um, I mean that season we we started off, we won our home games in the first sort of you know, four or five home games we, we won. But we lost our away games and, and that affected it and, and straight away the media who were not who were not typically critical back then, but if you were the champions and then you started off in their eyes um, unable to make us at least mid-table um, they would give you some criticism and they'd ask where has it gone wrong and City were asked where had it gone wrong so early in the season and there were no answers because basically it was more or less the same team in fact they'd, they actually strengthened during the season um, there were some injuries but not significant injuries um, and and it just it was just one of those things. that they'd turn up for a game where they, you'd expect them to win, you know, three 0 or whatever, and then they'd lose it. And, and so, it's it's difficult to say why did it go wrong? Why did they fail that year? But they obviously did.
1: Yeah, looking at uh, at that title as well, it was the it was City's first ever title. Um, and so it's kind of like what a way to go after your first ever title.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do it in style. You'll always be remembered. Um, and City. You know, they also had all those attendance records and the 1930s was a truly great period for City. And I often talk about this as being the first truly golden era for a club. You know, there had been the success at the start of the century, um, which was taken away from City because of the bribe scandal and, and, and everything that followed that. But then in the 1930s, they were... At the you know that main road, they're getting enormous crowds for for key games. They were setting records. You know they built the league record crowd. They also got the um the eighty four thousand crowd, which still stands today record, and and so on. Right, and then people will say to me, you know, critics, fans of other clubs will say to me, yeah, but those champions got relegated, didn't they? As if it negates all of that, and and I think it adds to it really, that we were such a giant, such a big club, such a team that had all this success. And we, even us, even the mighty Manchester City of the 1930s could get relegated. And that, in some ways, also gives hope that, you know, even the mighty Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, whoever it may be, could still get relegated. I know it's much more difficult now in some ways because finance really has changed the, the, the dynamics of the entire league. But, it is still possible, you know. Leeds United in the nineties, they won the league, and look what happened to them. They had an awful sort of twenty odd years, thirty years that followed, um, and it's and it's quite often happened that a team can win the league, but then as a really fallow few years that follow.
1: So obviously, Gary, they they uh, they went down the the following season after um, winning the title. How 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 did that end up happening?
5: Well, you know, they had a, a bad spell in February, and March, where they well, they, they went something like uh, nine, ten games or something like that without winning. Um, it, it was it was poor form, and that really put them in the sort of bottom three and uh, bottom two and struggling. And and they, were, on the last day of the season, they were playing Uddersfield Town. Both teams. There was about seven teams that could go down that that year, and both City and Uddersfield Town. Um, Playing out of the but both City and Uddersfield Town could go down, and they only needed a point each, a point for both teams, and they'd, be, they'd survive. So, obviously, you'd think neither side would really take too much of the risk, that both teams would be quite careful, and so on. City didn't do that. City tried to attack. Um, we had a goal, well, we thought it was a goal, but it was basically it was one of those where it hit. Hits the crossbar, comes down, crosses the line, but of course, only the city players say it crossed the line. The opposition don't say it crossed the line. The referee didn't see it. That blah blah blah. The linesman didn't see it, all that sort of thing, um, and it ended up that Uddersfield actually scored, uh, and so one one nil, and we got relegated. But all we st- we would st- even with that defeat, we would still have been up if one of four other teams had lost. There's Grimsby, Portsmouth, Birmingham and Stoke, and they all won, all those teams won, and nobody would have ever expected that if just one of them had dropped a point, if one of them had got um, one point rather than the two that you used to get, City would have survived on goal average, uh, but instead... City got relegated. So even that it was, and the, the goal that Huddersfield scored was in the 72nd minute, it was 18 minutes from time and you just think all you needed to do was shut up shop. But it was very much, I was at the 83 relegation game against Luton and it was very much similar to that in that one of those two teams could go down and in the end Huddersfield did enough to survive. But if it had been a draw, both teams would have survived and that would have been it. City would have been safe.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of 97-98 um, as well. They won at Stoke, but uh, Portsmouth and Port Vale both won as well. Yeah.
5: yeah, that's true. Yeah, that that was another one. And also that that relegation game from the Premier League against Liverpool, where we're time-wasting the corner. I and mean, it's like... For God's sake, you know it's the last game of the season. Just do something. Yeah, and the, and the team, the city team, truly, they were still international players. They were not too old. You know, some people were saying, "Oh, maybe the team got too old," but the age was around about the same as as most of the other teams in the league. It, they weren't. It was it was more or less the average. It wasn't anything ridiculous. And they got rele- and unfortunately as well that relegation then. Was one of those moments that changed Manchester football for well, for some time because United were a second division team and got promoted that year. City couldn't get promoted in 38 39. Then war comes along, suspends football, and by the time the league resumes after the war, city you know, every, the entire football scene has changed. Suddenly, United are starting to get bigger crowds than City, which had never happened before, really. Um, And United win the first division and City was still in the second division when when football resumed after the war. And that set the tone for the next 10, 20 years, really.
0: For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on
5: a wide range of City topics. There's more details on Patreon.com forward slash
0: Blue Moon Podcast.
1: That was Gary James talking to me about the 1938 City side. Uh, time now to look ahead to the games with Fulham and Borussia Um Jack, we've been talking a lot about the selection and uh, and, and kind of what what options Guardiola has for him uh, for the for the coming games. Um, what do you think he'll do against Fulham given the the kind
2: of situation against Gladbach? There'll be, I mean, how many changes were there last night? Five, I think, or six, and the. The kind of general rule over the last few weeks has been around five on average, so I think there'll be I think there'll be changes again. Um, whether Foden, maybe Foden and Bernardo will both play again, Mahrez probably dropped to the bench. Given I couldn't believe actually Mahrez last night was the first time he started six Premier League games on the mm. trot ever for City. Just like. Just goes to show the strength and depth, doesn't it? And they paid sixty million pound for that fella. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know. It'd be interesting at back um, and how he uh, approaches approaches that because Ake okay fit off for some minutes because again he wasn't on the bench uh, last night. Um, he's not been seen since December. I, he'll probably he'll treat it as a big game because. Even though, as we've said before, the kind of the league is won, he won't want to slip up. So I think Diaz and Diaz and Stones, is that a fair I think he'll probably go strong as strong as possible in, in the middle and then give Walker a rest and then Walker might play against Gladback. Um Roger will be back, won't he? Um And then Ugh does he go false nine again, or does he play, probably play Jesus? So actually, it's probably it's going to be about five or six again. I think. Yeah, I, but I, then are they? Is, is it? They're not weakened teams, are they? That's the thing. That's
1: <laughs> that, that's that's what I was going to get at for because the, the interesting thing here. Adam, that's a long is, meandering
2: way of saying he's going to make some changes. Is yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I think. It, I mean, let's let's be honest,
4: mate. Incredible.
1: <laughs> let's just let's let's just keep that one going um adam like is this an opportunity for aguero to start again now because like like against west ham you know he, he wasn't great but he needs the minutes this is possibly one of those games although Fulham could be a bit dangerous they are they are playing quite well at the moment
3: yeah as i alluded to earlier i'd like aguero to start i think um this is the type of game we can afford him to starting i know that sounds ridiculous that you're trying to crowbar someone like aguero into your side uh it was interesting though i agree with jack there will be changes and that's been the pattern of play uh recently but pep's comments last night after the game where he says there's going to be less changes and i'm only going to play uh, choose the players that are, want to do well for the club and the team and the rest can sit on the bench i can't really envisage who he's speaking about categorically but It'll be interesting to see who, because he's classing this as the business end of the season now, um, which players... He, he, said, he says he's going to choose the players that have helped him so far this season. Now I'm trying to read between the lines and not coming up with anything, to be honest, because there's no scandal <laughs> nowadays. There's such a guarded and protected uh, club. So uh, it's interesting. We will need to make changes. I, I agree. Rodri will be coming back in. I suspect um, Walker uh, uh, might rest, and he's probably the, the right player for a gladback. Uh, match, um, so yeah, I think Aguero. Um, these are the type of games. Like we say, we're running out of games to give these people minutes who need them. Um, Fulham away with all due respect, and they've been playing well. I, I expect this to be a cagey affair, but I think Sergio might be able to be the difference on that on that type of game. A, a smaller pitch, so less running, or it seems seemingly smaller pitch. Um, so he doesn't need to stretch his legs too much, and hopefully he can unlock something uh, for us like he has there previously. So.
1: Yeah, um, Jack. Like we're touching on there, Fulham have crept into a little bit of form. They've given themselves, um, I'd say, a chance of staying up because uh, you know it's looking like Newcastle and uh, and Brighton might be in a bit of danger there. Um, if City's winning run had continued, I guess like going into this game, we'd all be feeling fine. But because they've conceded a couple of goals in recent games and the performances were a bit iffy at times, like is there a danger that this is a tougher
2: test than we're maybe giving it credit for? I think it is a tougher test because. Fulham have started winning games from from nowhere um, and aren't conceding as many goals as they were doing, um, and are like nicking nicking games. I mean, they nicked it against Sheffield United and they defended brilliantly against Liverpool um, to win there. I saw them at Burnley the other week actually. I thought they were, and that was that was just after they beat in Everton, but it like they won one game in I don't know three hundred, uh, <laughs> and it was the Everton game. But I thought they were really good. Um, I was quite surprised. I didn't. I'd not seen them live. For, uh, I don't know whether I'd seen them live all season, to be honest. And they're not the sort of club that, if they're on the telly, that I'll even have it on the background. Because <laughs> well, would... in fact, there's, there are some, there's some clubs where you look at like the, the TV guide. And it's like, well, I'm not watching that. Chelsea. Every time Chelsea are on, it's like, well, I'm not even having that on in the background. I'm not bothered. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? I don't know why. Anyway, I. I'm, I'm not going to. Burnley is one of mine, and like you have
1: to go, you cover them all the time. So, like. yeah, but I, I,
2: I could talk to you about Burnley all day. Burnley are better than people give them credit for, um, and actually play some relatively good stuff at times. Um, but because it doesn't, it rarely leads to a goal. It never gets onto match of the day. So it's kind of like it's just a cycle because it doesn't get onto the highlights. <laughs> people like you don't see it, so therefore you don't watch him and then I you thought, see the crap. I tell you what, I'll give myself one of these shots. Incredible! I? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'd, yeah, I'd, they are coming into f- I think it's a bit of a banana skin, personally. Um, but City is so adept at just swatting these teams away that you can't look beyond them them winning it at a canter.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Gladbach game in midweek, Adam, has been moved to exactly the same venue that the previous leg was uh, was, was played at. Um, that I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, it, it, it probably doesn't mean anything, but it, it kind of makes the away goals rule a bit of a farce for this, doesn't
3: it? Yeah, it's going to be a typical cities to get knocked out on away goals from a, from a tie we never played at home, but <laughs> uh, I think that's the case for anyone who plays in, in Budapest. Um, I just think with the current climate, there should be uh, allowances made to change the format of the competition. Uh, mirror what we they did in the Champions League last year and have one, uh one tie oh I forgot uh, you you're a
1: big Champions League one leg
3: oh I'm yeah I'm mini tournament the festival of football yeah. yeah god yeah get it get it all uh, in in one place and have a world cup of of Champions League football so um I think just in for this season anything at uh, this knockout stage should have just been one uh, game it, it, it alleviates any logistical issues for teams traveling from high covid countries or and uh, um, covid rulings and stuff so the fact that it's at that neutral venue again is a bit of a strange one. It annoys me from a geeky stats point of view because I need to have a home game at uh, a different stadium, like we did with Oakwell back in <laughs> uh, two thousand, uh, early two thousands, mid two thousands. So, um, yeah, I I don't like the uh, you know the nuances of having a home game. somewhere else else. so I'm a bit of a traditionalist and if you do need to change it, now would be the perfect time to change the format, so I think they should have done that but it's an interesting quirk I suppose
2: It's very, very short notice that Budapest thing yeah, because they've all been short notice if they're going to be played in Budapest or wherever else but City uh, Gladbach and UEFA all thought up until a couple of days ago that it was going to be played at the Etihad Mm. and they were all planning for that and then I think I'm presuming that the the uh travel restrictions in that particular region of Germany have changed overnight and then they all had to change the plans. But everyone had like as of well last week it was it, this game is definitely being played at the Etihad because the the restrictions in that region aren't quite as strict as they were in Leipzig's region for uh as a comparison. So mm. it, it's not it's not good at all for it to be so late in the day. I'm surprised Pep didn't mention it actually last night.
1: I'm kind of I'm kind of um, quite okay with it, just simply because like it's the world we're living in at the moment. Things change at the drop of a hat because of because of the coronavirus. So you kind of have to kind of roll with it. Um, I'm interested, Jack, in in Guardiola's comments after the last Gladback game, um, where he, uh, he was talking about two 0 and he wasn't very happy with the situation. A bit worried that that you know the job wasn't done sort of thing, even though people were saying it was. Um, and he's he's kind of dropped the hint again and again that that City aren't ready to take on the Champions League, and I'm just yep. I'm, I'm just wondering if they're not ready now,
2: when will they be ready? Um, probably when they spend hundred million quid on Erling Haaland. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to carry on? Is
1: that, I mean, it.
3: Incredible.
2: The yeah, he has. You're right. He has mentioned it um, a lot since Gladbach uh and he mentioned it again last night uh, basically giving giving goals away. Um and he was good on it on Tuesday pre match. He was good on it as well. Um it's it's the same old it's the same old problems. It's the same it's just defensive well not even defensive concentration. It's just concentration on the ball and giving it away and I mean last the Southampton game I think it was... I've not I've not seen a replay of this, but I think it was Walker that gave it away on the touchline um, on the right-hand side, which allowed Southampton to play one pass, which has basically bypassed the whole midfield. Redmond's had a shot from outside the box. Edison's tipped it wide for a corner. Then they concede from the corner, and it all leads to them giving the ball away on the, on the touchline needlessly. And it, those are the sort of things, if that happens in a Champions League game against a better team than Southampton, they go out. Yeah. And this is what he... This is why he doesn't think that the that, they, that they're going to be able to win it. Um, yeah. But then, like the flip side of that is, if they play like they did do for the majority of the twenty-one games, they've got every chance of winning it. Um, but the glad, then again, the glad, the gladback game, the last minute of that, or the last kick of that first leg, Edison pulls off an, a wonder save to keep it a 2 0 and that again that is and a if, lack that's, of if, if that's if that's the other way two, ra- one, it's a different game
1: yeah and if that's the other way round as well on that stadium it's the ho- it's the home game and that's an away goal if it goes in so
2: yeah
6: <laughs> yeah
2: so that's so that's why i think he's just he, he is he's worried about it but i don't I, they've set up as solidly as they possibly can do so i don't really understand i don't see how they can eradicate those problems in such a short space of time yeah
1: uh, right, well, no winners on this week's charity bet. Who who could have seen a five-two against Southampton coming? In all honesty, um, but it means we stay on eight hundred and ninety pounds for the season so far. That money is going to the Christie, a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester, and each of us is getting a ten-pound correct score single on City's games from William Hill to add to the pot. I'm um, going to start with uh, the game against Fulham, Adam. What have you got?
3: I know you don't do goal scorers, but I'm going one-nil Aguero. Uh,
1: well, one-nil <laughs> is uh, five to one and fifty pounds. Then for Gladbach, what are you having?
3: Uh, two nil mirror mirror result of the last one.
1: Uh, it's mirror odds as well because that's five to one as well <laughs> and uh, fifty pounds if you're right. Jack Fulham, where, what are you having?
2: Uh, three one.
1: Uh, three one City is uh, ten to one and a hundred pounds. And then for Gladbach, two one. Uh, that's 15 to 2 and uh, £75. Pounds. Uh, I've done uh, exactly the same as you, Jack, but I've swapped the scores around. So uh, 2-1 against Fulham is 15 to 2 and £75, pounds, and 3-1 against Gladbach is 9 to one and £90. Pounds. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. <laughs> Now, all the talk last summer was whether City were going to complete the signing of Lionel Messi as his future at Barcelona looked bleak. It's been rumoured that he'd still make the move to Manchester when his contract expires in a few months' time, but things may have changed a little bit with Joan Laporta winning the elections there. What does that mean for Barcelona, Messi and City, and even Sergio Aguero? I've been speaking to journalist and Barcelona fan Rafael Hernandez to find out
6: more. The big news is that Laporta was elected president, it was inevitable, but at the same time it wasn't. We we used to had Barcelona fans worried that he might not win. And all Barcelona fans knew that if Messi was to stay, Laporta had to be elected. So the moment that Laporta was elected, he said that he was going to talk with Messi and he will try to find a way for Messi to stay at Barcelona. And he already said it loud and clear that Messi is going to to have to, to compromise part of the, his finances. So if Messi stays, he's going to earn at least, I would say even half of what he earns right now, which is really, really a lot. He, he was getting over 100 million per year. So yeah, you can imagine that it's, it's really a lot of money and Barca are nearly bankrupt. So there's absolutely no way that he could stay earning the same thing. And basically, Laporta said it, and then Laporta came. He, he's actually he's actually at the club today, and basically he he's talking with everyone there, talking with Koeman, and he already met Messi. He already called Messi, and he said it quite clear to everyone that he cannot guarantee that Messi is going to stay, but he's going to to give his all to actually persuade Messi to stay with a solid project.
1: I mean, obviously, last time we spoke, it was it was up in the air whether or not uh, Messi would be leaving, or w- whether you know even City could could go, come in for him on a on a free transfer and uh, with with the clause in his contract, that sort of thing. Um, obviously, his contract is up at the end of the season. There's, is there still a decision for him to make now, or, or, or do you get the impression that he'd be quite happy to stay at Barcelona for the, for for the remaining years of his career?
6: Yeah honestly the way that he has reacted to to Laporta winning the election apparently he was very happy alongside the players so yeah i would say that the chances of Messi leaving have really have really shortened by by quite a bit if i'm honest you have the you have the situation where Messi is at Barcelona uh, in, in his entire life. Basically, he has his whole family, and he said it himself in the interview with Go last August that the most difficult thing about leaving Barcelona was making his whole family move between between countries, and this absolutely this this is not about manchester's weather or anything like that because rival fans love to say it it's about that it, but it absolutely isn't so yeah i would say that the possibility of messi leaving right now is is really is really small just because his family is there he's quite happy now that the club is back on the uh, back on track basically but it's not. I wouldn't say it's. Um, I am 100% certain that he's he is staying because it's never that simple. And Messi will have everything in his, in his hands. He he won't have a contract by the time that he starts to talk with Barcelona to renew to to actually sign a new contract. It's not about renewing anymore. It's about persuading him to stay.
1: I mean, the other interesting aspect of uh, of the saga last summer was that uh, City fans were, were were dreaming of of having Lionel Messi lining up alongside Sergio Aguero. Um, I, I guess the fear for City fans now is that it could that could still happen, but just the other way around, Because La, uh, Laporta was talking about uh, potentially trying to sign Aguero, was he?
6: Yeah, Aguero is one of the big names that that there there were rumours on social media, possibly coming from Laporta's own camp that this could happen but it's not it's not set in stone i would say that it's possible that aguero could come to barcelona maybe on a short contract maybe two one or two years and yes absolutely i think it would be a good a good bargaining chip with with messi without a doubt because him and aguero are really really close uh, closer than people think and you you already had one of the big spene, one of the big streaming uh, streamers in Spain basically saying that basically saying that aguero could come to barcelona and apparently he has some contacts with aguero's camp too so i would say it's a possibility but it's not set in stone right now because barça are in a really poor situation In terms of finances, so it's going to take a while for Laporta to actually make an assessment of the finances to see if Alaba will come, if Agüero will come. Because I would say that between Alaba and Agüero, Alaba is the priority for Barcelona because of his position. He could play as a centre-back, he could play as a left-back, so there's that too.
1: Yeah, I mean the 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 other interesting aspect, of course, is uh, the other name that 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 kind of muddies the waters somewhat is that uh, is that of Erling Haaland because obviously City would be would be interested if uh, if that deal could be done, if that means that Aguero moves on. Do it, like, it, you say that there's so many different cogs in this machine for 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 this coming summer that it, that you just it's really hard to predict, isn't it?
6: Yeah, honestly, I think it's impossible to predict because we we actually don't know uh, the state of the real state of Barcelona's finances. I'm sure everyone read that the the former president was just arrested, so he was basically laundering money to shell companies, and one of the shell companies that he was using was actually financing one of the one of the uh, outright or something like that, some kind of right winger movement against the. Catalonia's independence, so you get that Barcelona, which is a club really linked with the Catalan independence, was actually being used to finance anti-independence movements. So it's it's really a messy situation. So I would say, yeah, we really don't know how bad things are in terms of money for Barca, and of course we we have had rumors from both Victor Font and Laporta's camps. That Haaland could could be signed, but Laporta never actually mentioned the uh, by name. He actually he kept he kept insisting that he had a good relationship with all of the big agents in the world of, and of course it means Mino Haiola too. Uh, Laporta is actually really close with Mino, so it wouldn't be an, an issue. But at the end of the day, it's really about money. And we can't really think that Haaland could come to Barcelona and basically accept to earn even even half of what we could of what we could he could earn at Real Madrid or or Manchester City.
1: What's your gut instinct on on the future for this? Uh, do Do you expect Messi to stay at at, at Barcelona and, and, and Aguero maybe to stay at City if the if the contract offers there?
6: Honestly, I think that Messi will stay. Uh, I would say that basically the whole fan base is acting like he will stay, and I'm confident too. Given the whole how how he has reacted to Laporta's being elected was a really really strong news. We had Messi's father, who's also his agent, actually liking the Laporta's post on on Instagram too. The whole the whole of the the footballers at the club are actually happy that he, that Laporta is the president. So you have this really push. And you have the whole comfort zone for Messi. We we can call it that too. Yeah. So in my opinion, Messi is going to is going to stay. And there is a possibility that Aguero could be signed. Same for Alaba. But really, when it comes to Holland, if it if it, if it is to happen this summer, I really don't believe that Barcelona have the financial means for it.
0: Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Rafael Hernandez there on Barcelona's situation at the moment time to finish with ask the panel get your questions in for next week uh, on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast you can email us as well just go to bluemoonpodcast.com and fill out the form there Uh, first up is Mark Forsyth on Facebook actually uh, who says uh, given the scenes at Rangers and Liverpool when they won their titles do you think assuming City win the title and I'm old school so not counting my chickens just yet City should take some precautions or can City fans be trusted not to disgrace the club Um, Adam what what do you reckon because this is uh, when City win their title let, let Let's, let's assume that City are going to win this title and that a mm. massive swing isn't going to happen. When that happens, uh, the restrictions are likely to be a little bit lighter than they are now.
3: Yeah, and without being a spoilt, uh, a spoilt prince, um, our title won't be as a big a shock as it was when Liverpool won it or Rangers won theirs in terms of time without a trophy. So I think our celebrations would be rightly be muted in terms of yes there'd be an element of it's a hu- human nature to want to rebel and um go and celebrate near your club's ground whether the restrictions allow if the restrictions don't allow we we saw a a, a smattering of that when silver's last game during lockdown and some fans visited the stadium and greeted the coach. And we've widely condemned—I widely condemned on here—the act of act of people breaching lockdown in those type of celebrations, um, the Liverpool title celebrations. I understand it, but you've got to be less selfish. And I, I'd, I'd be sad. We've got a good track record as City fans. Like you, you look at the Munich anniversary at the Derby. We observed that, and we were coined impeccable from then. Uh, but like I say, there was a smattering of, of uh, fans there for the silver uh final so i'd expect that we, we will see fans gathering at the stadium and that's you know <laughs> their choice i'd like to know, I think we're we're better than that and we're, we're a more considerate bunch uh, but I, I do expect some uh, celebrations at the stadium. You'd be right in hoping that lockdowns will be lifted and we'll be lucky enough to be able to see some kind of presentation or interaction because Liverpool weren't afforded that and they might have uh, won and lost the title without a, a, a fan seeing it from their point of view. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, we're lucky and we can celebrate together.
1: Yeah, Jack, do you think the club will
2: be worrying about this, maybe? Um, yeah, I don't know, I've not asked, but I don't think there's a great deal that the club can do, really. You've just got to kind of hope that everybody everybody observes the the rules, um, yeah. and there's an element there's an element of uh, supporter at every single club up and down the country that don't abide the rules mm-hmm. um, and wouldn't, but I suppose every club's got to hope that they're. Mm. Their minority is smaller than the minority of other <laughs> other clubs. Just, I, what I mean, what can you do? You kind of, yeah, you can, you can, um, you can enlist more kind of police on the ground, um, which costs money. I I don't, I, I don't know. I it's kind of a hope and pray that that that, you, that they don't see the the scenes, Anfield or, or Ibrox, which I don't think they will because Adam said it's. It, it, the title winning, winning a title is always massive, but it's not as significant. This this wouldn't be as significant as, as it's Rangers winning yeah. the first one for the first ten years after the, um, or the, first one in ten years after the financial problems they've had, etc. etc. And Celtic's nine in a row, and and Liverpool have gone thirty years without one. It's not the same, but that doesn't mean to say that people won't still turn up. Yeah. Um So I don't know. It's it's a kind of it's a wait and see, but I, I guess they would be. History suggests that City will hope that they'll be okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, Gavin Thompson from Patreon asks, The most effective midfield three to me this season has been Roderick, Gundogan and Bernardo. With De Bruyne a fit, it seems Bernardo is the favourite to drop out and based on recent games, that's made us weaker there. Do you agree that there's an argument for not guaranteeing De Bruyne a game in the Central three for the decisive games this season? Jack, we touched on this before, mm. um, but this is, I mean, for for the decisive games this season. thats It's a big call, isn't it, like you were saying with the derby?
2: Yeah, it's a huge call. I mean, if the if the Champions League final was tomorrow, then Kevin De Bruyne plays, doesn't he? Um, maybe, maybe in a way in kind of what you were alluding to before. Maybe there's, maybe there's a way of getting them all in and and not playing a and going with a false nine, or I mean, as they did at West Brom, which was a, I think it was a false nine, ten, and then an eleven. Uh, maybe that's the way to do it. In Jesus and Aguero, don't. Um, don't play. I, I quite like De Bruyne when he's just allowed to. He's just allowed to play central and do whatever he wants. Basically, um, I think they get they get a lot out of him um, when he when he plays like that. So maybe that's that's the way to that's the way to go in in the bigger matches. But I, I completely take the point that Bernardo is such a different player this year to what he was last year, and he had. It, he had his problem last year and he was I think he was a little bit lonely in Manchester and he, he likes living in a city but I think he struggled being away from certain people last year and it and the the stuff with the FA and the Mendy tweet um hurt him and he went backwards and now he's he's come out the other side of that. Um Thrive. and I don't think I don't yeah. think he was I don't think he was great on, on Wednesday night but he still affected the game. Um and and that's what you need from those, from that kind of front six. Where, you know, if Silva's not playing well but still affecting it, he knows that someone else is gonna um, is gonna win him the game. And, and last night it was De Bruyne and, and Mares. And when De Bruyne and Mares aren't quite at it, they know that Bernardo or, F- or Foden will win them the game. Um, so I think like Pep loves a midfielder in... Maybe it will be in the Champions League that he play, He goes and plays six midfielders and, and says, go on, do whatever you want.
1: Yeah. Um, if the Champions League was tomorrow, uh, Adam, would you play De Bruyne in it?
3: I am I put a tweet out the other week saying that Gundogan and De Bruyne can't play in the same midfield. and What I mean by that is you don't get the same Gundogan if De Bruyne's in the side. Um, I'd always play De Bruyne, but we'd need to probably sacrifice a striker to get De Bruyne and uh, Gundogan in Leave De Bruyne just to be marauding forward and being up front, and leave Gundogan to create. We we saw Gundogan's best run of form this season when De Bruyne was out of the side. I got absolutely panned for suggesting they can't play in the same midfield, so I'm expecting a backlash again <laughs> uh, off that. But you you've got to stick to your opinion, and I believe you don't get the same Gundogan with De Bruyne in there. So I'd put I'd, I'd sacrifice a striker to get them both in.
1: I'll tell you what I'll give you one of these
4: to finish. Incredible there we go.
1: Right, well that brings this week's Blue Moon podcast to an end. Thank you very much for listening and thanks to my guest from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Thank you very much. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gaunt. Thank you mate, cheers. If you'd like to get future podcasts completely ad-free, then you can sign up to our Patreon page on any of the three tiers. They're now all priced in your local currency, so none of that converting from US dollars if you're somewhere else in the world. And all three tiers offer the same benefit, so you can pick the one that's right for you. Have a look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon Podcast. If you sign up, you'll also get an extra podcast each week for Patreon backers. This week, I've been chatting to Duncan Alexander from Opta to decide whether City are the most interesting team of the Premier League era, with some of the records that they've set or that they currently hold. All the details for that as well are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Please don't forget to give us a rating and a review in all the usual places, and we'll be back next week. So I'll see you then.
0: That was the Blue
5: Moon Podcast. Please support the show